what's going on everybody we are back with another episode in season actually we're doing season three right now and i wanted to do season three as a kind of women's empowerment season uh i've had quite a few guys on here that have given their stories and i started reaching out and putting posts out online looking for females because i think it's detrimental to have both sides out there so with me today i have the lovely tori smith out of ken ohio what Tori's doing right now is she is a um, residential aide in tech, and she's going for her CDC at Pinnacle Treatment Services in Kent, Ohio. It, I, Victoria's got a story like everybody else, and it's kind of her story is what led her to get into this profession. I think uh, she's got a great story, and that's why we've got her on today. And so without any further delay, I'm going to let Tori take it away. Um, Tori, go ahead and just say hi to everybody real quick. Hi. Hi. <laughs> uh, Tori, why don't you just briefly uh, get into what your childhood was like and kind of who you are. Who is Tori? I mean, it was just kind of me and my mom and my brother growing up other than, you know, some stepdads here and there, which I did end up with a wonderful stepdad who helped raise me from birth. Um, he's my brother's dad. Um, when I was about five, my mom was with another person and she ended up losing a child when he was four months old. So we lost our baby brother, and that kind of made our childhood that we knew come to a halt. Um, my mom was very out of it for a very long time, and I can't fault her for that. I mean, I don't know how I would be if I lost a child, um, especially one that I had held for four months and had everywhere in my house, my car, my everywhere. So um, my my childhood changed dramatic, dramatically. Um we started spending a lot of time with my grandmother, who is just the most amazing person. Um, and, you know, my mom did the best she could. So it was just us growing up. Um, I do have an older brother and a younger sister um, that I found out about when I was about 18. But I didn't grow up with them or anything. Um, but for the most part, I did have a pretty decent childhood. Um, it wasn't filled with any drugs or alcohol or any thing like that. There was no physical abuse. There was some mental stuff that went around them. A lot of the men were not quite nice. Um, but, you know, we made it. We made it through. Um, but me and my brother were pretty close for a long time until we were about 16. We're getting that relationship back together now. But then when I was 18 and I found out that, you know, my dad wasn't my real dad, um, that kind of shook my entire world not going to lie. Um, but I did get an amazing brother out of it. Um, he is one of the most treasured things that I have. Um, but it turns out that my biological father is an alcoholic. And so that, I guess, is where that gene came in. Um, so when I was 18 and, you know, trying to escape my house, I ended up with um, someone and I ended up having a miscarriage and that guy was on spice at the time. And if I had any real addiction, it was spice, <laughs> like, um, like the K2 spice, oh, okay. the, you know, the stuff they sold in the stores is legal weed. Okay. Yeah. That was, that was my very first, um, experience with any kind of drug at all. I mean, in high school, I was, I was literally <laughs> like, I did not get in trouble for anything. Like, I was a good kid. I got good grades. I didn't skip school. I hung out, like, with the good kids. Like, I did not do anything to 
you know, not make my mother proud. I I was a huge people pleaser and I cannot handle disappointing anyone in my life. So that was a big thing. I think I like smoked weed twice, drank twice in high school. Like that was like my bad bout. My mom knew about it every time I did it. (laughs) I mean, I did not do anything wrong. Like we, if we were going to pick a kid, it was probably going to be my brother to be the one to, you know, get in trouble and, you know, mess around. And he ended up being the good kid, I guess we'll go with. (laughs) But, um, so then I got on spice for about, I think it was like four years. Um, and that took us to some crazy places. And, you know, the thing about the spice was it had physical withdrawals, kind of like heroin, not quite as bad, nowhere near as bad, but, um, you know, it was still there. You still had the cravings. You still had the, you know, crankiness, the craving for it. You wouldn't eat, you wouldn't sleep. You were everything. So, so can I ask something real quick? What, yeah. because for all intents and purposes, spice was like weed. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the physical difference was it, but that made spice different from weed where you would physically withdraw from it? And then I want to touch on another point real quick, but because I'm not familiar yeah. with spice. They sprayed they, they basically took a, like what a weed plant would be, maybe not weed specifically, but they took what like a marijuana plant would be and then they would spray it with chemicals. So it was just covered in these chemicals. And then, you know, when it started like affecting people, the FDA, you know, started banning all of those chemicals so then they started changing the chemicals and not testing them and it got to the point where you know right after I quit actually it started liquefying people's insides from like one or two hits like it was it was was bad yep it was available everywhere and dude it's it's crazy that so (laughs) I'm just going to talk real briefly about bath salts because I believe this was around the same time right it was yeah. For anybody that was a drug addict back in like mid 2000s, and I was a hardcore like heroin, meth, like that, not to take away from anything that you <laughs> called that, that was not at all the purpose of my comment, but I remembered a buddy of mine came over and he was talking about bath salts. And I'm like, what? I was like, what are you inject or injecting and snorting bath salts for? And he's like, <laughs> he's like, oh, well, it's, it's legal. You can get it at the store. And I'm like, wait, what? Say, say that say that again and so he took me down to like the little head shop in kent and i walked in and you were for all intents and purposes buying meth over the counter yeah. and it was way worse like i would do a little bit of it and i would be up for four days and i it was wild but it was it was the same thing you, people were going in and the spice i never tried it because once i i'm an extremist when i do something and i get to that next level I'm looking for the next, the next big, right. thing. I, I'm not going backwards to smoking weed anymore. I'm looking for how can I get even higher? And that's wild because they were selling all this stuff in the stores. Uh, it was crazy to say the least. That's um, a part of it too, because you know, the guy I was with, um, he, he wasn't the greatest we'll go with sometimes. And he had a lot of rules for me and, um, me being a people pleaser, you know, like I, okay. But I also have this thing that I discovered about myself that I rebel when people try to control me. And like, you know, at the time when we were doing spice, he was also doing bath salts. You know, he's, he was very anti-drug, but you know, he was doing bath salts and he was doing spice and all that. Right. It's legal. You know, it's legal. So, and actually 
was hanging out with a couple of his friends that are, were genuine meth addicts, and they were like, oh my God, this is like the best meth I've ever had in my life, you know, da 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 And they were doing it constantly, and he looked at me one day, and he was like, you are never allowed to try speed. He's like, you would annoy the living shit out of me. You are never allowed to try speed. Now, that's back in like 2011. <laughs> when I left him, that thought was still in the back of my brain, like, oh, I can't try speed. Okay, we're going to do that now. <laughs> like, yeah, no, so like, but see, I didn't realize that I would, because like, I didn't like smoking weed. I didn't like drinking. I didn't like anything, but spice took me out of myself you know? And like, I was one of those people, like some people like true weed smokers do not like spice because it's just, it's too high, you know, like it's yeah. too, too high. So like, but me, I needed to disappear. I went to like, I would get so high that I would hallucinate. Right. And like they called it, one of his friends was like, Oh, she's going to Tory land again. And I swear every day after that time, this golden gates would appear and say Tory land. And I had the choice to either walk through the gates and be too high or stay out of the gates and not. And it was, it was a whole experience. Like, have you seen the movie inside out or osmosis Jones? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, basically there are these movies about like what's going on inside your body. Like osmosis Jones came back out in like the nineties and it's like, um, like all of your blood cells are individual people and the Tylenol is somebody and all of that are like, and inside out is about your emotions in your head, right? And it's like physical they, people in your head. Or they like you watch them while you're high to like trip you out because that's right. Like, that would freak me <laughs> out if the blood cells are all people in my body. It will like literally. I'd be sitting next to him, and the one day I was like punching him, and he's like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "I'm sorry, the kids are on a field trip to my brain, and they're in control right now." And like he's like, "What?" <laughs> like it literally was like I was inside. Everybody was its own working part in person like there was once he was sitting there talking to me and I kept telling him I was like Shh. and he's like what and I was like Shh, stop talking and he's like why and I was like because every time I open up my mouth the vacuums are flying out and I'm losing all my vacuums and I'm just watching this counter go down like all these vacuums are flying off my tongue like it was insane <laughs> like, I don't think I ever tripped like that on acid or uh on I never did either I never did either I never experienced anything like that on acid or anything like so that's what I needed in that time, or so I thought, you know, I, I couldn't cope. And then, you know, that 10 years with him was a very trying and hard time. It broke me. It was 10 years of my life, and it broke me. But after four years, we got sober. And within three days of getting sober, I had my son, my first son. So um, I think that was just God, the universe, whoever you believe in, um, you know, working its magic. I mean, and it kept me sober. It kept me off of spice, though I didn't really think about it as being sober because I didn't think I was a drug addict. You know, it was just spice. It was legal. I got it from the store. It's not a drug. Just because, you know, everybody else is pulling scrap out of yards to go get it or, you know, stealing their mother, their mother's money out of their purse or anything, you know, that's, it's still legal. It's not a drug. So to me, I never well, no, even. That, and that's, I, I've had this conversation before too, I think that that's one of the biggest reasons that alcohol is such a problem in society. It's, it's legal and people don't look at it as being a problem. It's, it's been normalized to the point where it's, I'm not an alcoholic, but it's available in the store. I can go down and I'm okay. I can white knuckle it for three days and then go back out and have a couple of drinks and then white knuckle it for three more days. But you know, it's, it's too readily available. It's, that's where the problem with the spice and the, the bath salts and everything came in is it was, it was basically just putting 
putting narcotics on store shelves. Pretty much. It was a rough time. I watched a lot of people go downhill. I, I want to talk real quick, too. You, you keep going back to a bad relationship. And obviously, mm-hmm. we're not going to put anybody's name out there. But uh, I, too, was in a very toxic relationship for probably 10 years. It was my first marriage. It was 10 years. Uh, and I think long term when it comes to addicts, and I, I've got a really good friend. His name's Drifter. He runs sober. And him and I talk. He's a truck driver, too. So we talk quite a bit. And lately, we've been talking about um toxic relationships and uh how that affects you long term and how that affects being a drug addict and and so i mean you keep referring it's and i don't know your relationship i'm just going to speak off of mine but i do the same thing i minimize it and i'm like oh it wasn't that bad it wasn't that bad but here 10 years later and i'm only bringing this up because you because of the comments that you're making and and (laughs) i call people out so i'm not calling you out on i don't know your relationship but but it's one of those things I did the same thing for a long time where I, it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. You know, it was, but now 10 years down the road, it, it caused so much trauma and like PTSD in me that I'm not even the same. It's taken me four years in my current marriage and relationship to get me back to that point where I'm like trusting, where I'm not questioning what she's going to do. And my wife, I, I trust my wife with every, every bit of my soul, but that past and that trauma and me minimizing it and not dealing with it on the front end, it's it's caused me long term to be like, I side eye everything. That that little like light bulb flips on every time some every time she says something that like flashes me back to ten years ago, I'm like, hold on a minute, wait, what? Like, it- I, I'm totally the same way. Um, it was really bad. Um, I mean, I ended up in a domestic violence shelter for about three months afterwards. Um, because I was so terrified when I left. Um. Yeah. You know, it had gotten really bad in the end, and I was so, so terrified. And honestly, if it would not have been for three people in my life that, you know, just like, because I did, I minimized a lot of it, even while I was in it, you know, I was miserable, but at the same time, like, I wasn't, I wasn't coping. I was like, okay, well, you know, it's not as bad as it used to be, you know, but then it would get really bad again. And, you know, it, I wasn't, it it was to the point where I didn't have friends anymore. Like I literally was not allowed to have friends. So I found a way to have friends. I became best friends with his oldest son's mom. And so, I mean, that's not really somebody you can kick out of your life. So, I mean, she was my very best friend. She was my ride or die for like a very, very long time. I mean, that woman helped save my life and you know, it got, it let me keep my stepson in my life afterwards. You know, I helped raise that boy since he was one years old. And, you know, I was in this relationship for 10 years that that boy was my heart and soul, just like my own two boys are. And so to this day, he's 13 and he's still a part of my life. And I love him with every, with everything. Um, so, and then, you know, I became best friends with one of his friends that he wasn't like one of the guys that, you know, wasn't that addict back in the day. And, you know, like was doing the bath salts with him and everything. I couldn't stand it back in the day. Oh my gosh, get that kid away from me. But, you know, at some point, you know, he had kids and I fell in love with his kids, too. And they're like my little niece and nephew. Um, They're my kids' best friends. And, you know, he was one of those people. And his aunt, they are my they were my three best friends. Like I found people that I knew would not leave me and I needed them and I needed their strength. Now, I'm the one that pulled it out and found the strength to leave. But without them having my back, I wouldn't have made it out. And I. To this day, I don't know if I'd have made it out alive. 
Well, and you you even said, I mean, there has I, I post a lot on social media and I I I'm very open about my family and it's not all the good times I post about, you know, the bad stuff too because I don't ever want that false that false sense to like push out to people like, hey, life is great, my life is amazing. Hey, look at me. It's but you made a comment there and 2 years ago I relapsed pretty hard. Um and I had thought about leaving my wife and you, you, you made a comment about losing your stepson. And I have a 10 year old stepson too. And my wife has helped raise my kids since they were little. And it's hard when, I, I mean, when you throw all that into the mix, but I wasn't trying to leave because of anything she did, I was leaving because of my own bullshit. I, I, you know what I mean? But then to think about losing the kids, I can only imagine being in a bad situation such as yourself, like where there's domestic violence, where there's, uh, well, it sounds like narcissism. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna diagnose him, but I mean, generally, that's and what just sounds like toxic behaviors all around. I mean, if you're only allowed to have friends that were um, his relatives, but then you throw the kid in there, and you're like, I can't leave. Like, I I can't. You know, even so, I commend you. I mean, for being for coming out of a toxic relationship. That's and there being kids involved. That's that's a huge step. That says a lot about you getting yourself out of there. I've, I've, I've been talking to somebody else recently that I, I keep telling her, I'm like, you have to choose you first. Like there's you, you're no use to anybody else unless you love yourself and you put yourself first. So I commend you for getting out of that relationship. That's, and, and it's, it was it's great literally the hardest thing I've ever done. It was literally oh, the sure. hardest thing. I mean, ripping sure. my kids away from their father and don't get me wrong. We have a decent relationship now. We're good co-parents. Um, but it took us a long time to get to that point. I'm not going to yeah. say that it didn't. But, you know, I can't well, it's, keep it's, them it's, from their father. So. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's, there's no more control. So the, the, there's no reason for him to fight with you because there's no, there's no more control. He, he knows he right. can't control you. So why is he – yeah. No, that's, that's good stuff, though. I um, mean, don't get me wrong. He took me to court three times for custody. So. <laughs> 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 well, that's that that tends to be the game, and and that drives me nuts too. I I mean, even in my first marriage, the only time I wasn't allowed to see my kids was when I was a complete, being a complete piece of shit. Like there was a few, there was like two years where, and even then, my kids were still available to me. I just had to have uh, visitation at my mom's house or at my sister's house. You know, um, I never understood the let's hold the kids let's fight over the kids let's it should be you should be a uh, you should be a collective front when it comes to your kids you should be uh, you should be working on the same page my my current wife and her ex-husband i am envious of their relationship they were best friends all through all through like middle school high school then they got married and they were like ah oh, this is kind of weird but they ended up having a kid so they got divorced they co-parent amazingly and I, I look at my I, I look at my past relationship sometimes and I'm like, I've been in tears over it before, honestly, because there's just been times where I'm like, I just want that. Like that's, there's no reason that kids should have to be, kids should have to put up with bullshit from their parents. They've already went through a mm -hmm. divorce, you know, that's it was a rough time, but we figured it out. Yeah. Like we're pretty good about, you know, our time together and everything like that. We talk now, you know, we, we co-parent pretty well. And, you know, I've never kept them from him. There was that first summer that they didn't really see him when I left. But after that, like, you know, when the court proceedings were done and everything like that, like, we've had a set schedule ever since and been okay. Mm, awesome. Not to say we didn't fight along the way, but we're to a good place now. So it works out.
Okay, so you were doing the spice, you were out partying, going to Victoria land. <laughs> what was the moment where you were like, hey, I'm done with all this, this is stupid? Um, actually, it just, it got to be too much. And, you know, like we were watching people just go down and down and down. And, you know, honestly, we just didn't want to do it anymore. But the weird thing about it was when you decided you were ready to be done with spice, there was no withdrawals. There was no... There was no nothing. And like a friend of ours had come through and he had been the worst person on Spice I had ever seen in my life. And he was like, yeah, dude, he's like, I just, when I decided I was done, I was done. And like, I didn't feel anything and I didn't need it. And we were like, bullshit. I mean, like with heroin, it doesn't matter. I mean, you're going through it. But like, I don't know what it was. It was like a brain chemistry thing. You, and so when we got sober, we went down to Tennessee and moved in with my mom and my biological father who had gotten together after I was 18. Um, so we moved down there to get to know him and just never went through anything and we were done. We just didn't look for it down there. We just escaped the state and, you know, I didn't know where to get it and I didn't look for it. So, and you know, once I got pregnant three days later, that definitely helped also. But, um, we just, I don't even remember if there was a catalyst. It just, we decided we were getting sober. Well, and that's your mental state and your, your mind state when it comes to finally making that decision, people don't realize how much of a grip your mind will have on you when it comes to pulling yourself out of an addiction. Like you were saying, you still wanted to do it. You were experiencing physical withdrawals from it, but when you decided to make that change, it's, it's just like, I'm done. And I think that holds true with a lot of things. Obviously, when I detoxed off heroin and opiates and everything else, there are physical, awful withdrawals that come with that. But if you have that mental, that if you've made that decision in your mind where you're like, I'm just done, I don't want to do this anymore, you're tired, you're fed up, it does make it much easier. So it does. Um, it, it boils down to getting to that point. Um, so you made the decision, how long were you in Tennessee? And then what prompted you to kind of come back and um, start working, uh, get the job that you were in? Was there something that led you to get the job that you were currently in? Or was there a, uh, talk about that a little bit. Um, well, we were in Tennessee for about four years. Um, I learned some sides of my dad that I was not happy with, but my dad is an alcoholic. This dad was so. the alcoholic, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. he's the alcoholic. And he's very sick from it. He has extreme pancreatitis and other things. Um, but he was not a nice man to my mother. Um, and we couldn't really handle that anymore. But honestly, you know, my stepson was still here in Ohio. And, you know, we hadn't been around for four years. We saw him a couple of times. But, you know, my kid's dad, he wanted to come back to Ohio. And that's what we did. I mean, there wasn't really wasn't much of a choice on my end of that matter. But I am glad that we did. Um, But, you know, I learned a lot in my time there. And one thing I learned was that I definitely don't want to be an alcoholic. (laughs) My drinking never picked up. Like, drinking was never my thing. I was like, that is not going to be me. And um, so we moved back to Ohio. And I think we were here for about a year before I left. And I went to the domestic violence shelter for about three months. And about two months after that, I was on meth. Um, One of his... You know, the friend that was my best friend, we ended up dating, um, and he was a recovering meth addict at the time. You know, he had been in sobriety for about six months, I think, um, and we were doing great, and, you know, he relapsed as it happens, and, you know, I couldn't understand 
okay? Like, I, I couldn't understand, like, what was so great about it that you don't want to be sober. Like, look at all of these things you have. Like, what was, what's so great about it that it's keeping you there? And one day he was like, you know, he's like, I'm not asking you to. He's like, but, you know, I've just had the thought lately that, you know, I'd really like to do it with you one time. And in the back of my brain, I was like, he told me I was never allowed to do speed. All right, let's do this. Here's my chance. Like I was, I was breaking every rule that I had ever had at that point in time. Like I was just in this complete rebellious phase. And so I was like, you know what? I, I really want to try it too. So I did. And I figured out exactly what he couldn't give up. Um, but I do have extreme ADHD, like very, very high ADHD. I'm unmedicated. So meth to me didn't quite turn me into like the normal tweaker. It sat my ass down. My bad. Didn't mean to swear. Um, no, you, but... can you can swear if you want. I'm, I've, I normally drop 20 F-bombs a show, so you're good. <laughs> okay, cool, because it's like my favorite word. But, <laughs> um, but it literally, it sat me down. You know, I would sit there and I would draw. And, you know, I've always been to the art. But I would sit there and I would draw for hours. I would color for hours. I would paint. I still have my paintings up all over the place. Um, I learned photography. I spent so much of my time with the stars and the moon. It was ridiculous. And, you know, I loved to learn new things. Like, I learned how to drive a backhoe. I learned how to operate a backhoe. I learned how to drive a dump truck. Like, you know, I just wanted to learn new things constantly. But, you know, so I think I was just self-medicating. I loved the attention span that I had. And that I didn't need to sleep. I mean, I already have insomnia. I'm up all night anyway. Why not be productive with it? And so that took over my life for a year, one solid year. And I got really lucky that it was only a year. Um, you know, by the end of that year, I didn't know myself. He didn't know me either. He was like, I don't know who you are anymore, but I can't stand you. And I was like, I can't stand you either. Like it had destroyed both of us. And, um, you know, there was a lot of infidelity on his part throughout that year. And it broke me. Um, you know, this one great relationship that I was supposed to have after this really terrible, long relationship. And it broke me and it turned me into this person that I don't want to be like, let me tell you what, meth will do some crazy things to your mind. <laughs> it, it, it does. Um, I mean, to the point where like the most, but see, I'm not like a super hateful person, but I can be petty when I want to be. So like I glitter this truck because that was the worst thing I could come up with. I'm not going to destroy your shit. Okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to slash your tires. I'm not going to, you know, key your car. I'm not going to, you know, like burn all your stuff, but I will make your life very inconvenient. I got a, I got a story for you <laughs> real briefly that I want to get back to you. <laughs> what you were saying, my wife's best friend, she, uh, her ex-boyfriend used to run motocross and he was up at a motocross meet, got hurt really bad like hospitalized her. So Jane, uh, I won't mention her name. Her friend drives a couple hours to go down to Tennessee to see him in the hospital, gets there and he's in a coma and she picks up his phone to call his mother. And it's just all these texts of girls that he's, and they were, they were together like two years at this point. Like it was serious. She would travel with him all the time, like to these motocross events. So she she finds all these text messages. She calls his mom, says, I think you need to come down here and be with so I'm not gonna mention his name either, so and so. And uh so she said, I'm not gonna be here when you get here. And the mother's like, Why? What's going on? And she's like, I don't want to talk about it. Tell tell him we'll talk later. So he wakes up, she goes to his apartment and she put glitter all on his ceiling fans. He had like four of them through the house. 
just douse them with glitter. And then obviously, you know where that went. But it was that is the most epic thing I've ever heard in my uh, life. Because, and I, I never thought about the glitter, but you can't get glitter out of shit. So it doesn't matter if it's four years down the road, you're going to see a speck of glitter. You're going to be like, oh, I was such an asshole. That was my literal whole thought process was like, I don't care how much you vacuum this. You are never going to get this out. You're going to be finding glitter on you for years. And you're going to think about this moment. No, that's awesome. I, I, I told my wife, I said, I, and to any females out there, don't go to jail king in a car. Don't go to jail beating somebody's windows out. Douse their shit with glitter. <laughs> but it only works if they're not a fan of glitter, you know? Like, right, if they yeah. hate glitter. Like, I have a friend. He's like, I don't really care about glitter. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> but, like, yeah. man, if they really hate glitter, it is, like, the best revenge you will ever get in your life. Because it, it just, really it's is. the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. It really is the gift that keeps on giving. And it's like psychological warfare. I would be, because I, I get very like down on myself for stuff that I've done, like people I've done wrong in the past. I would look at that four years down the road and be like, oh, and I'd go through it for a week. <laughs> like she, his current girlfriend messaged or talked to me a couple months later. And she's like, it was so funny because apparently some glitter that I did not intentionally put on his actual stuff when I gave it back ended up in there. Like, I think one of the kids got a hold of one of my glitters and did something because he was like, you had to put it on my stuff, too. And I was like, actually, I didn't do that. But that's epic. A couple months later, there was a speck of glitter on his face. And she said something to him, like, why is there glitter on his face? And he was like, I haven't seen her, I swear. <laughs> it, was just, it was so great. She's like, you should have seen his face. He was freaking out. <laughs> but it was great. But I did end up, you know, as soon as that relationship, well, in Octo October 1st of 2020, I, end I was still with him, but it was like the very end of our relationship. And I was parked in a parking lot um, of somewhere that I had spent most of my time doing meth at this, you know, we called it the shop. Um, and I was in the back of the parking lot waiting for the dude to show up so we could go inside or whatever. And he took forever on tweaker time. You know, it happens. Yeah. So I was sitting there and it's like two o'clock in the morning and I decide to draw a tree. Right. So I'm like, I've got the headlights on and I fall asleep. You know, I'm with a friend of mine. He's in the front seat. He's sleeping. So I was just by myself and I took out the stuff and, you know, I, I must've left it on my lap and I didn't realize I could have left it in the backpack. That was his backpack, which is where it was originally. And I took it out and I used it. And apparently I had just been up for way too long. And I couldn't stay awake anymore. So I fell asleep with my car running, with my lights on, just in the parking lot. So somebody saw that, thought I was overdosed on heroin. And so they called the cops. So I wake up to two ambulances and six cop cars surrounding me. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, he's banging on the window. like, And he's like, hi. And I'm like, hi. Like, And he's like, you know, are you guys okay? And I was like, oh yeah, we're, we're totally fine. You know, da, 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 da. and he's like, well, can you step out of the vehicle for me? And I was like, sure, why not? And I open up the door and go to stand up and the entire case falls open on the ground in front of him. And he's like, what's that? And I was like, speed. He's like, what kind of speed? He's like, meth. He's like, oh, okay. He's like, you want to get your buddy up over there? And I'm like, Mark, <laughs> like, you know, get up, get up, get up. <laughs> and so, oh my God, like it was terrifying. And, you know, 
I honestly am so grateful for one of these cops that I think it was shift change, honestly, because like I started with these couple of cops and then all of a sudden these, these sheriffs showed up and I don't know, maybe I was just in a different jurisdiction or something. I don't know, but these sheriffs showed up. And so he takes over and I wish I knew his name. I really do. I do not remember his name. Um, and I have never seen him again. I've seen a lot of the other cops that were there that night, but I've never seen this man again. And he pulls me to the side and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. I don't even do it that often, which I mean, at that point was an everyday thing um, for about six months had become every day. And I was like, you know, it just it helps me concentrate. It helps me this. It helps me that. And he's like, I see a couple car seats in the back of your car. He's like, you a mom? I was like, I am. And he's like, where's your kids? And I was like, well, one of them's with my mom and one of them's with their dad right now. And she's, he's like, okay. He's like, you trying to lose them? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, you're doing a bang up job of that. And he's like, he's like, you need to get yourself right. He's like, this is not okay. He's like, what are you doing to those babies? He's like, do you want to see them going to their dad? Do you want to see them going with your mom? He's like, I don't, I don't ever want to, he's like, I don't ever want to see you again. And I was like, I don't ever want to see you again either. Like, he's like, right. And he's like, he's like, I'm going to give you two options. You can either come with me down to the station. He's like, or you can go to the hospital and get checked out. And I was like, what? He's like, not a hard question. Do you want to go to the hospital and get checked out or come with me? And I was like, hospital. Absolutely, the hospital. He was like, that sounds like a good choice. And so, you know, then this other cop who had been talking to that buddy of mine, he comes over and he's like, we're not taking them. And he's like, what? He's like, we're not taking them. He's like, they said we're not taking them. And that was so sketchy to me. I was like, wait, so this one cop is planning on taking us and this other cop just randomly comes over and goes, we're not taking him. So like, I mean, meth brain kicks in and I'm like, what did he say? Is he, you know, a snitch? Is he, you know, whatever? Like it went through my mind, which he was not, by the way. Like it just, it was just one of those things. And so he told me, he's like, okay, we're going to go test this. And if it comes back as methamphetamines, you're going to have a warrant. And I was like, okay, okay. Now, mind you, I don't know what to do with a warrant. I'm a good kid, okay? I don't get in trouble. I don't do bad things. I, you know, like, I'm freaking out. And that was October 1st of 2020. Um, that guy wasn't there for me in the way that I needed him to be. And I was like, you know what? Forget this. And I left on October 5th. And by October 14th, um, on my second court date, I was sober. Because I, I didn't know I was going to get sober that day. I had no idea that, that was going to be the last time I was going to use meth. But... You know, I went to court. They scheduled me for, like, I turned myself in because I found out I had warrants. And now, mind you, <laughs> I did not tell nobody in my entire family, in my entire world, outside of the people that I used with, knew I got high. Nobody. Not a single person. My best friend, my little ride or die best friend that I hung out with every single day did not know I was high. I don't know how, but she did not. And I think a lot of it was just her not wanting to see it you know I tried to talk to her at one point about it and she kind of blew me off which was really weird for her so I think she knew she just didn't want to know and um so literally nobody knew and that was like the hardest thing for me was trying to figure out how to tell everybody because now I have a warrant you know I'm going to jail and so <laughs> my car got towed that day that I got my charge right and I was like, oh, you know, it was at the shop and I don't know what happened. And like, it just seems so sketchy. So like, of course, people are just like looking it up. 
right? My mom's best friend looked it up. She's good at that stuff and tells my mom. So thank God that that woman told my mom before me because my mom had had to wig out on her best friend and freak out and whatnot first. Um, but so she told her and I, my mom comes to freak out on me and I was like, hey mom, you remember all of those times that I could have made your life a living hell in high school and I could have done this and I could have skipped school and I could have been doing drugs and I could have been, you know, all of those things. She's like, are you asking me for a freebie right now? And I was like, yes. And she goes, you get one. And I was like, one's all I need. One's all I need. And like my mom totally like let it go. And she was mad, but she was there for me through the whole thing. Um, I went, you know, I got high the night before court because I'm going to jail. I'm going to go to jail high. Like, I mean, I'm not going to go in sober. And they sent me to book in, book out. So I did that. And um, they spelled my name wrong in the system. Me and my mom thought it was hilarious. Like, oh, they spelled your name wrong. Till I went back to court and they were like, oh, yeah, she didn't book in, book out. And I was like, um, yes, I did. Yes, I did. They spelled my name wrong. We saw it on mobile patrol. So I had to go do it again. So the only time I spent in jail, thank God, was um, in a holding cell. But I literally was there in a holding cell for so long. I was supposed to go to probation afterwards. But I was in a holding cell so long that the probation officer was closed. So they told me to go on Monday. And by Monday, my system was clean. So I never failed at probation. So I never had to go to jail. Thank, thank God. Um, I really lucked out. In a lot of ways, I've lucked out along the way. You know, my meth didn't have any fentanyl in it. Thank God for that. Because nowadays... If there is no meth anymore. We used to have a counselor at work that made a joke that it's just methanol. Like, it's just methanol now. So I'm, I was extremely lucky um, that I did not end up with anything. But, you know, I went through my IOP. I did everything I was supposed to before the courts told me to. Um, and, you know, I finished up everything with no probation violations or anything. And literally the day that I got released from probation, my sponsor also works in this field. And she called me. She said, you want a job? And I was like, hell yeah, I want a job. And with that day, I had a job at Recovery Works. And um, so, you know, I never went through, you know, a detox meth. I stayed home and I slept for a couple of days and I was really cranky. And, you know, I hung out with a lot of sober people, maybe not people that were sober, but not addicts, I guess we'll go with. Um, and to keep my mind busy. And, you know, I just I had to keep my mind busy because I wanted it so much. But Meth is a mental battle, so there's no physical withdrawal, so you don't go to detox for it. And, you know, I think that that's wrong in a lot of ways because staying away from it is the hardest part. It might not be a physical withdrawal. You know, I might not relapse because I'm in so much pain that I can't handle it or because I'm so sick and I just, I need it. It's a mental thing. I need it and I need it mentally. Like, and it is the, one of the worst things I've ever experienced was getting through that. What I have to say, and that was one of the things I wanted to talk about with you as well, too, is the fact that there's not a lot of, that there's not beds available for people coming off meth. Now, I do understand the medical field's stance on that, but I will say as a, as a complete heroin junkie addict, the, the things that I took away from detox the most was the support, the learning about where I could go to get help. Them, them placing me in help, them placing me in like long long term facilities. You know, it's so I I think maybe, I think maybe the the treatment industry is maybe dropping the ball on this. I I don't know. What's your what's your take well, on what would be a lot your, of times? A lot of times they send them to residential. 
Um, a lot of times they send them to a residential program, which does work. It's a 30 day program and it's not as intense as like a detox because there's no, there's no meds for it. You know, it's just kind of getting you off the street, but you know, if that residential bed isn't available, you know, like they're going to be right back out there when maybe there is a detox bed available. And occasionally we do take people for meth. It's very, very rare. Um, usually there's another substance involved also, but, um, you know, and like, I feel like a lot of people know that the detoxes won't take them. So they won't make the call. They won't make the call for the help. And, um, it, it just sucks. Like I have a lot of people that come in and they're like, yeah, I drank a beer just so I could come in here. You know, I drank a twist of teas just so I could come in here. And you know, the fact that you have to go and choose another substance to get into detox, just so you can get yourself off the street, it, it sucks. And then you get in there and everybody's like, oh, you're just meth. Yeah, it's a, it's not just meth though. It's a no. it's a battle just in itself. Like it might not be heroin. And I'm very glad that I never had any fentanyl, heroin, xylazine, anything in my stuff because this xylazine stuff is scary. Like this new xylazine. It's um it's basically the new fentanyl that they're putting in heroin. Um like I don't even think heroin exists anymore, honestly. It's just fentanyl and xylazine. Um but xylazine is kind of like crocodile. It as soon as you inject it, it starts eating your skin. If you snort it or anything, it starts causing big holes in your skin. So I've got these people coming in with these giant sores because everything has xylazine in it nowadays. It's not just the fentanyl that's killing people. And xylazine is Narcan resistant. So not only do we have this new designer drug, but it's Narcan resistant. So there's no way to save you if you overdose. And it's just, it's so scary out there. And, you know, like I got sober three years ago. And it, the game has changed so much in just that small amount of time. Well, I, I've been out, like I said, I've been out of prison for, it was 10 years on September 21st when I released this pro podcast. That was my daughter's birthday. That was, I was, I was fighting it. I was fighting to get home and they told me I would be home for my daughter's birthday. But so 10 years I've been home. And I let the two years ago when I relapsed, it was on cocaine. It was, I, it was stupid. It, it is what it was, but the, heroin game 10 years ago fentanyl was just coming into the mix like it, it fentanyl wasn't really a big thing 10 years ago you know so i'm i consider myself extremely fortunate that i never got caught up in all of that like because i i i talk to guys and i see guys and i hear stories and i'm like dude it's terrifying like what you could run into and now you're saying they're putting it in meth and they're putting all this other like xylazine or whatever this bullshit is mm -hmm. um so yeah, it's I I'm very fortunate that ten years ago was uh, the last time I dealt with any opiates because I I don't know if I would make it out. Like, and, you know, it's extremely terrifying because you know your dealers that are you know breaking up your heroin, your fentanyl, whatever, they're using the same scale that they're breaking up your weed on, right? So all of that is getting on the weed, and these kids, these kids are dying because they want to smoke a joint for the first time, but it's covered in in fentanyl or whatever and these kids are dying because they wanted to smoke a joint and like it's it's so terrifying I'm so scared for my kids you know when they get older I know they're gonna want to try things and I mean especially with we becoming legal now I mean the only thing I can is that they're smart about it if they ever make that choice and you know I'm open with my my kids don't quite know yet what I went through they've been to my meetings with me they go to my meetings but they're seven and eight. They don't really know. And I haven't talked to them about it. I'm sure they'll have questions at some point. They still question me on why I have to go to a meeting every week. But 
Um, can you just skip it tonight, mom? Why you gotta go to your meetings? Like, cause it's really important for me, baby. Like it's really important. And you know, especially my crystal meth meeting that I go to, I run that. I'm now the secretary of that. And right. And you know, that was the meeting that genuinely helped me at first. When I found that meeting, I went for my 90 day chip. I wanted a 90 day chip. And, um, you know, I had gone to an AA and I just didn't feel comfortable. It happened to be like an old school AA, my bad. Um, but you know, so I was like, there's gotta be something out here. I know there's heroin synonymous. There's gotta be something. And when I found CMA, there was only two in the entire state, one in Columbus and one in Kent. And I found one in Kent, thank God. And now there's probably six or seven, I think in the state. Um, but you know, it, it was my home. And I do actually go to a heroin anonymous meeting on Thursdays also, but it's the same people and, you know, it's an open meeting and all of that, but they're my home. And so, you know, I go to both of those. Um, but really I love my job and helping people, whether it's at my meetings or at my job, you know, and I want to be, my end goal is to be an IOP counselor. Um, like, well, so that's why I want to go. Let's talk about your job real quick, and then we'll get into your, your future goals, because I think I think a lot of people that deal with drug addiction, you know, they come out and they get clean, and it's the the guy Drifter that I talked I talk to this guy daily. He's a great guy, but um, it's we have as addicts, once we clean up, we have just the urge and the want to help other people, so it, it, like to show them the way out, like to help them get out of the trenches, you know, so talk about like talk about that like you're you, where are you what are you doing at pinnacle right now like explain what you're doing at pinnacle and and kind of your motivation for continuing to do it um well right now i'm a tech and basically i am the one that spends all day with them you know from the time they get up until dinner when i leave i am the one that's on the floor i am getting them whatever they need whether it's a snack whether it's a conversation whether it's they need a counselor they need whatever, but really, you know, we're the first line when they want to leave, the tech is the first one in front of them trying to convince them to stay. And, you know, if we fail, we pass it on to somebody else that maybe be able to reach them or something like that. But we're, we're the ones that, you know, make sure they're okay. You know, we're the ones that check on them and make sure they're alive, make sure they're doing okay, make sure they're mentally okay, make sure they're physically okay, you know, grab the nurse if something happens. Um, and if we notice that somebody's not acting right, you know, like, but we learn these people and it's not quite a friendship, but at the same time, it's like a mutual respect and friendship on some level. Um, they're just human beings like I am. And I treat them as such. I don't treat them any better. I don't treat them any worse. They are just the same as me. And, you know, some people come into this job and don't, you know, oh, I've been through this, you know, and they, they don't quite treat them as if they're human yet. And, you know, that's not what they need. They need to feel like they still have something to live for. And, you know, sometimes just talking to them is all that they need. And so I want to move up eventually, but I love my position as a tech, you know, being with them all the time. Any other position that I have, I would not have the rapport with them that I do. And um, they come in like, you know, if I've had them, way more than once, you know, five, six times. Like we have that kind of relationship that I will bounce into the room and bounce on the bed and be like, Hey buddy, did you miss me? <laughs> like, and they're like, Oh God, no, I'm so sorry. I'm back. You don't have to be sorry to me. Like I'm here to support you. Like 
I'm just glad to see your face. It's alive. I'm happy to see you. You know, if nobody else told you that today, I'm happy to see you. I may not, you know, maybe it'd be better under different circumstances, but I'm happy to see you today. And, you know, I think that means a lot to them also is to know that somebody cares. We had one client that broke my heart. He had endocarditis and he had been with us a lot of times. He was one of the, I won't want to say favorites, but, you know, he was a That's frequent flyer. Water around the heart, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think so. It's something to do from his drug use and it messes with your heart. And uh, we thought he was just like extra sick. And he's like, no, this isn't detox. Like, this isn't detox. I need help. But he wouldn't go down to the ER. And, you know, he ended up passing away oh, like three days after we sent him to another um, hospital. Um, and his roommate called us to tell us that he knew that he was dying. And he came to us because we were the only people in his life that he felt cared and loved him. And it broke our heart. Yeah, I there's – I remember – and I told this story. So for the listeners that are listening again, I'm sorry, but I'm going to tell it again because she hasn't heard it. But it's the whole level of compassion, you know. So I, I got caught burglarizing homes. I'm going to make it quick because I've, I've told this story a hundred times on here. Um, <laughs> You're the, fine. The day that I got caught burglarizing a home, I was at a point where my mother, my family, my, my kids – I wasn't even allowed to see my kids at that point. I was homeless. There was no compassion. I remember like I, my brother came and picked me up one day. I was leaning up against the wall, like sitting against the wall at Chapel Hill Mall, and he just happened to be driving by. I had my phone charging on the inside of like the – but he picks me up, and I get in the car, and he's like, man, he was like, you stink. Like you, you smell like you smoked 10 packs of cigarettes. Like what's going on? I was like, I don't have anywhere to go. And he's like, well – and nobody was letting me come stay with him, and I don't blame him. Like that's not – that's I, I was stealing anything I could get my hands on. But the day so to go a, a month or so being completely homeless and the day that I got caught in that house, the old man, it was the first ounce of compassion I had ever because here I am. I'm like, I just got caught robbing your house. Like you're safe and like some other your jewelry box is literally sitting right by your door. You catch me in your house. He was a little old man. And I break down in tears and I'm like, I'm so sorry. And I wasn't, again, I wasn't sorry I got caught. I was sorry because I knew I was hurting people. Like I knew I was causing damage and I was so tired. Like I was so tired, just ready to give up on everything. I just wanted out. Like I, I and so I was almost thankful and I was thankful I was getting caught at that point. Cause I'm like, Hey, I, I need somewhere to go first of all. And uh, you know, I told him, I said, I'm not going to put my hands on you. I said, just call the cops. Let's get this over with. Um, and I walked out. I said, I'm going to go sit on your front porch. I said, don't touch me. I said, I'm, I have no intention on hurting you, on, on touching you or anything like that. The old man came out and he like stood beside me and I'm sobbing on his doorstep. And he puts his hand on my shoulder and he was like, you know, he was like, I can tell you're better than this. Like, don't. And it's that compassion. And that's always stuck with me. It's almost like a God moment where just that little ounce of compassion it stuck with me all through prison that man that had every right to either shoot me or scream at me or put his hands on me told me i was better than that and you know all these people that i loved that i had hurt none of them were telling me that i was better than that at that point they were all fed up and this man that had no idea who i was but yet i was about to walk out of your house with half your shit you put your hand on your shoulder and you were like Hey, you're better than this. And it just stuck with me. And I think, I think that's the biggest thing with addicts 
trying to get sober and I commend you for doing it. Like you said, you're doing it on a day in and day out basis. You just show them compassion. You don't give them money. You don't give them a place to stay. You keep them at arm's length. You show them tough love, but always be compassionate with them. Always be understanding. Always be an ear or a shoulder to lean on somebody to talk to. Because like I said, ultimately that's the one, that's the one point in everything that's stuck with me up to up to now that I always fall back on that's that old man's voice. And I think he's passed away at this point because I've wanted to go back and like and thank him. But when I came home, he was older. When I came home, one of my friends worked with him and I, I think she had said that he had passed away. But I always wanted to thank him because like I said, that little ounce of compassion, it's like a little mustard seed and it's stuck with me and it's grown into 10 years of me building a really great life for myself, you know? So I commend you to keep doing that. Like that's, I think that's, and I'm getting like a little choked up. That's just something that, uh, it's needed. People don't show drug addicts compassion. They're looked at as the scum of the earth. And so keep doing what you're doing. If he sneezes on me. <laughs> yeah, why do you work in a, why do you work in the medical field where it's the number one thing is to help people and you're gonna yeah, act like that. So Okay. Yeah.
It doesn't <clears throat> listen as a, as a former heroin addict, it doesn't matter. Drugs are drugs. Addictions, addiction. It doesn't matter. You went through the trenches just like everybody else. So it's, <clears throat> it, it always bugs me when people get those little, cause I I've been in uh, meetings and group and everything else. They're like, Oh, you don't know. I'm, I'm like, dude, shut. And they're not even talking to me. I'm like, dude, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like what? Like it's all the same, man. Yeah. That's, uh, that's funny. You're doing, you're doing your C, you're, you're getting your CDC. And I, I will say we are coming up on an hour. So I, I'm, uh, I don't like holding people up longer than an hour usually. Um, so I'll go ahead and wrap this, but I do want to tell you real quick, if you are talking to people and I, I want to push this to you primarily because it's a great website, it's the sober town website. Um, they do daily zoom meetings for recovery they do crystal meth meetings they do heroin they do alcohol they do all in all they have mental health meetings they have like 300 and some podcasts on there if you're talking to people at pinnacle <laughs> feel free to push them over there i they're great people they have telegram groups they have meetings all day long you know virtual meetings um always feel free to do that but i will roll this back just a little bit i want to commend you on what you've done i i love watching people who have come out of addiction and decided to help other people that it speaks volumes to your heart. It speaks volumes to your character. It speaks volumes just in general as to who you are. And I think the world needs more people like you, but that have been through a they've had a rough go at it and they are trying to be the light at the end of the tunnel for other people lead by example. Um, so I, I commend you for everything you're doing. Um, definitely. I know we're friends on Facebook now, so I'll keep watching you stay, keep me, up to date on what you're doing with your CDC. When you get it, we'll come back on and we'll talk about it, what it took to get it. Um, anybody that's making, I always say, I don't want to grow along stagnant people. You know, I started this to help people. I started this to give people resources. If you've got felons that come into your facility and they're like, I can't find a job, I can't find housing, so on and so forth, shoot them over to the website. It's webuildmonsters.org. Um, I've got all kinds of resources put up on the website on theirs. So I'm going to continue to watch you. I'm going to continue to root for you. Uh, I think you're doing amazing things. Is there anything that you want to tell anybody else up to this point? <laughs> well, thank you. That's what I, I appreciate that. But like I said, the world needs, uh, the world, the world needs more positivity and it. it's, it's turning to be a dark, <laughs> we're, we're getting into back into the dark ages at this point. So, so, all right, Tori, well, I greatly appreciate you again. I will keep up with you on Facebook. We'll have you back at some point in time and you can tell us about all the new uh, accomplishments you've achieved. So, all right. Thank you so much, Tori. Uh, guys, we will check you next time. Have a great afternoon, guys. See ya.